Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, educating young people about peace. It is my great privilege to welcome to the program Phil Giddings, who is speaking to us from England. Phil is World Beyond Wars Education Director. Phil has lived, worked, and traveled in over 50 countries across six continents, taught in schools, colleges, and universities in eight countries, and led experiential training and training of trainers for hundreds of individuals on peace and conflict processes. Other experience includes work in youth offending prisons, oversight management for youth and community projects, and consultation for public and nonprofit organizations on peace, education, and youth issues. Phil has received multiple awards for his contributions to peace and conflict work, including the Rotary Peace Fellowship and the Catherine Davis Fellowship for Peace. Phil Giddings, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much, David, for the invitation. Pleasure to be here. So many people, I think, at this point have heard of peace education, but perhaps don't have a very concrete notion of, of what it consists of. If you're, a, if you're a student of peace education, what do you learn? Yeah, well, I think that's a good place to start, actually. And in order to answer that question, I'll say something about where peace education came from. Um, and that's interesting in itself, because we can think of peace education as something old, and something new. What I mean by something old is that all of the world's major religions have espoused their own version and taught about peace in some different way. It's something new, though, because as a dedicated discipline, we really started studying and learning about the science of peace about 70 years ago. So it's something new in that sense. And nowadays although different people say different things, we have more than 400 graduate courses dedicated to learning about peace, education about peace and education for peace. So to get to your question in terms of what do people learn, different people say different things and there's no overall definition of of what peace education is. And part of the reason for that is because peace means things to different people also. Um, If you look at it from a philosophical perspective, philosophers have often thought of peace as what they call an essentially contested concept, which means it means different things to different people in different places. Well, if that is the case, then educating about and for peace also needs to mean different things to different people in different contexts also. Having said that, I'll offer my working definition of how I understand peace education drawn from what I've read in the literature, but also from my experiences of working on the ground in very different contexts. I think it's about preparing learners with the knowledge, skills, attitudes to understand different forms of violence, transform conflict, and work towards sustainable peace with justice. So there's a quick kind of working definition of peace education. 
It's it's very broad. I, I mean, I was just recalling as you were speaking uh, that I spoke at a conference of peace educators uh, in the United States a couple of years ago, and I spoke, of course, about war and why we should end war and how we might end war. And uh, I sat down with uh, a big group of students and asked them what they were studying as peace education students, and every single one of them was studying some good noble cause opposing racism, opposing sexism, uh, you know, this, that, or the other progressive cause, not a one of them had anything to do with war or ending war or avoiding war or eliminating war. Uh, has, has, peace, has peace become such a broad concept that it, that it rarely touches on war? Well, that's a very good point, actually. And, and I think in terms of the people you were talking to, I think there's something there to whereabouts it took place. I, I don't know. Um, there's an argument that says that, uh, you know, peace education, let's say, in Syria or, or in other war-torn countries would look different to uh, peace education in, let's say, more peaceful countries, um, such as, let's say, Sweden and things like this. So, um, an argument goes that peace education should be context-specific. But I actually think your point about, um, you know, perhaps not looking at war is a really interesting one. And uh, from a personal perspective, um, I, I've seen that the discussion of war has come in and come out. When I first started working in the field about 10 years ago, um, specifically on peace education, there was a bit more talk of war. Um, and then it's kind of gone away, and people tend to look at it through the lens of, yes, social justice and, and, and peace, etc. More recently, however, the, the discussion of war has come up more so. Um, I'm interested to know why that is. Um, I, I, I don't know what, what the answer for that is, but um, all I can do is just offer an observation. It's come up a little bit more than, than, than it has been in the past. Well, you, uh, I, I've read a part of a, a book you co-authored uh, related to peace education and, and in the context of, of Bolivia uh, and, and the world, and you discussed in there the, the trends, which I think are, are disputable in terms of a long-term decrease in violence and, and war deaths and war injuries, but also a relatively recent upturn in wars and war deaths and injuries. Do you think uh, the state of war in the world has something to do with uh, an academic interest in war? Yeah, well, I, th I think the, the, the peace science, or let's say the focus on the study of peace, was kind of brought about as, a, as an alternative to actually we've studied uh, um, a lot of uh, the scourge of war, um, and actually, if we, if we call on the likes of John Paul Lederach, um, who's a famous um, peace builder and conflict transformation theorist expert, he makes an argument that actually peace is a lot less known than, than war. Um, so part of the reason for a focus on peace is that actually we have many departments around the world which focus on war and stopping something that we don't want and perhaps an argument is made that we don't have enough focus on building towards something that we do want which is peace and and how do we do that what uh, what do people learn as students of building peace well in terms of um Peace education, it's important to, to put it within the, the broader context of peace knowledge. So Betty Reardon, 
who's a famous um, peace educator, she's talked about peace knowledge. Peace education is one component of peace knowledge. The other part is uh, peace research, peace studies, and peace action. So while I argue that peace education is an important part, it's not the only part. In order to to address war, in order to um, challenge violence and bring about conditions of peace, I think we need to work at many different levels. One is we need research to find out actually what are some of the causes of war and what are some of the viable alternatives that we can use to address war, address violence, resolve conflict, transform conflict in more productive ways. Another essential part is education. So actually there's a a lot of um, literature nowadays which argues that education is actually part of the solution and it can also be part of the problem as well. Um, If we look around... We don't see many courses that teach about peace, per se, in the classroom, in both high schools and and universities. We often hear about the heroes of war or war stories. We hear, um, it can be argued, a lot less about peace heroes, such as Gandhi and Martin Luther King, exceptional exceptional human beings. We hear a little bit less about them than, than, you know, war heroes and and what happened in World War I, World World War II, etc., so I think education is a part of um, actually helping us develop, especially young people, to look at the world in a different way, to understand why some of the reasons are that we go to war. Once we can understand um, the pros, the cons, etc., if there is many pros, um, then young people and actually all human beings can make informed decisions for themselves through, through education. So how that physically works in the classroom of a peace education classroom would be different, but but. What I've looked at in the past is um, what young, young people think. So I think in order to, to work towards peace and become a, an effective peace builder, we have to look at um, four core concepts. Uh, one of them is peace. One of them is conflict. One of them is violence. And one of them is power. So under the umbrella of violence and conflict could also be war as well. But I think we need to understand those four core concepts to... to um, think about peace building um, in its broadest sense. But one thing to be aware of, and very, very important, something that perhaps distinguishes peace education from other different types of education, is that it's not just about what we learn. It's not just about what we think. It's also about how we actually teach the subject as well. So if I was to be in a peace education classroom and I was talking about peace, but I was doing it in a very authority and authoritarian way, that would not be classed peace education per se. So if we look at the modern day education system today, it's set up in, in, from my perspective, in not a very favorable way. If we look around the world, the challenges require um, cooperation. They require working together. Then why is it the fact that the most school around the world is set up as an individual, that we, we work individually? We don't cooperate. And in fact, actually, if we perhaps do cooperate, we're called a cheat. Um, so, so peace education, in one way, actually critiques um, schooling. Um, there's a great book, actually, called um, Violence in Schools, which looks at how, how um, school um, and schooling is part of the problem, actually, and not part of the solution with regards to bringing about peace. So that, that, that looks at the peace education aspect. I also, although I'm a big advocate of peace education, I see and I write about them in in one of the chapters in the book, um, 
I see at least four areas where we need to develop um, in terms of peace education. One is um, looking at peace education evaluation. So we don't really know to a good extent what young people or people that take um, peace education classes are learning. I think we need to, to, to look at a lot more about what they're learning in the class, what they take away with them, and what they physically go and do with what they take away with them. Um, a second one is looking at um, access to peace education. University uh, courses around the world are quite expensive, which basically means that many people around the world, unless they've got money to access university courses, can't access peace education unless it's being offered in school. And we know um, by looking around the world, not all schools around the world are offering peace education, which means that people who go to school or don't go to school because they won't be in the community settings are not getting chances to learn about peace education. Um, a third thing is this, I kind of alluded to it already, about this idea of context-specific peace education. There's an argument that says um, there is not one piece, there is many pieces. Well, I take that and, and make an argument that says there's not one piece of education. There should be many piece education. So, as I alluded to before, perhaps peace education in Bolivia, in La Paz, would look different to peace education where I am now in sunny England. So, um, how do we go about adapting peace education to suit the specific needs of where it takes place and all those also the specific learners who, who are engaged in peace education? So, peace education for... Um, younger children would look different to peace education for university age students, for example. And then another big critique of the, well, I see the peace studies field more broadly, and it's very well known, is this, uh, this gap and seems to be ever-widening gap between theory and practice. Those that study peace, those that teach it, and those that practice it. So I think um, a necessary part of peace education, um, but it isn't always the case, should involve action. So you should actually take what you learn in the classroom and go out there and do projects in the community. I could not agree more. We're speaking with Phil Gittings, who uh, is a peace educator, PhD, and uh, relatively recently became the education director at World Beyond War. Uh, Phil, do, do peace education students uh, aim for and are they directed and guided into uh, jobs in the peace movement or jobs as nonviolent peace force uh, members, for example, civilian protectors in the world or uh, diplomats in, in state departments or uh, what sort of jobs other than peace educators themselves uh, do, do students look to have after uh, obtaining a peace education? Yeah, well, that's another interesting question in itself, David, actually, because if you look around the world in terms of disciplines and what we study, if you study engineering, you often go out there and look for a job. I will be an engineer. Or if you study to be a chemist, you will find, you know, a job title out there, which I will be a chemist. There is not a lot of jobs out there with the title peace builder or peace educator. They're out there, but there are not many. So along those lines, um, for your listeners, I'd really recommend an excellent book by a great guy called um, David Smith, which, called, which is called Peace Jobs, um, which basically lays out the framework of um, people that are studying peace around the world, 
more focused at the university level and what they can do with that qualification after they've studied peace education. So to put it into context, although there is courses which are called peace conflict studies or in, in my case, international conflict analysis, etc., when we think of peace studies, it will also come under umbrellas such as justice or peace and justice or um, conflict resolution, conflict analysis, things like this. So this particular book called Peace Jobs, um, I think, does a great job of following and showcasing students who have gone through similar programs under the umbrella of peace education or peace studies and what they can actually do with with, um, their qualifications. So one is become an educator, become a diplomat, work in the field, work in peace journalism. There's a whole array of um, skill sets that you can learn as a peace builder, such as critical thinking, problem solving, project management, which are very useful in terms of your work within the peace arena, but actually they're transferable skills, which many employees look for anyway. And David Smith has been on this program. People can listen to that show at talknationradio.org. Uh, Phil, I, I was interested in your comment that uh, that the education itself should be peaceful and not authoritarian. And uh, I am not a professional peace educator, but when I, I go and speak to young people, I try to engage them by asking them lots of questions. And I try to ask some that some of them will know the answers and some that uh, I'm afraid none of them will. And it's 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 shocking to me what young people and perhaps old people as well don't know. Um, I mean, in the United States, I can ask a classroom. Uh, there is one country on Earth that spends more money than uh, all of the rest, maybe all of the rest combined uh, on militarism. And over 90 percent of the foreign military bases on Earth belong to this country. Can you name it? And I'm and I'm asking this in the United States, and they'll shout out Iran or North Korea or Russia or China or, you know, basically the list of countries that the United States does not yet have a military base in, uh, you know. And and if we talk to them about making peace, uh, you know, especially the the higher up they are, I mean, university more than than high school or middle school, they they'll think of it as going to poor backward countries and helping them deal with their backward warlike ways. They won't think of it in terms of getting the U.S. government to stop waging war and selling weapons and so forth. Uh, to what extent do, do peace students learn about the role that, that wealthy Western countries play in the problem of war? Yeah, I think I think that's another very, very good point as well. And uh, there's something called um, peace and conflict studies, and there's also people that look at it and put critical in front of it, which actually makes an argument that actually we're not we're not looking at this issue in a critical way as we should do. Um, those that that um, put themselves under the umbrella of critical peace studies or critical peace and conflict studies very much do in their writing. I do, I can't talk about their teaching in the class, but in their writing. They very much look at how actually um, organizations, governments, etc., from the global north per se, and that would include the U.S., are actually part of the problem and not part of the solution. And they're being part of the problem in many different ways. One includes this idea of this, um, we know what is best for outside countries. Um, I spoke before about this idea of contextualization. It's something I wrote, wrote about in my Ph.D. and forthcoming book. Many peace educators. 
education programs, peace building programs, um, actually get thought up of by, let's say, a clever person sitting at their desk in New York or, or London or Paris and think, oh, this would be great for, I don't know, Bolivia or Thailand or something like that, without actually asking the local context, you know, what is, what should peace education look like for you? So in a way there, there's this idea of the, that we have this mentality of we know what is best for other countries. Um, so going back to your point about how, let's say, England as well and, and, and the U.S. are part of the problem as well, I would like to think if they're a good peace educator, the idea is to provide a critical environment um, for students to, to look at what is the reality? Who is spending all this money? Where is the money going to? You know, and what effect is that having on the countries? And to what extent you know, is more money actually coming out of Global North countries than actually going in? Along those lines, I'd recommend a brilliant book called The Divide um, for, the, for your listeners to check out, which makes an argument that, oh, actually, although people argue that a lot of money comes out of the Global, more, global North, the global south actually this author argues that the opposite a lot more money comes out of the global south to the global north which is quite an interesting argument in itself one of the uh i i will have to get that book and and that author on the program i i don't think i i've done so um the the thing that we try to do, one of the things we try to do at World Beyond War, as you know, Phil, is to is to debunk myths about war that, that people hold uh, from a relatively young age in many cases in this, this war-mongering culture that we live in, that, that war is inevitable and necessary and just and beneficial and that war is a tool for confronting terrorism rather than uh, something that produces terrorism. Uh, to what extent is is debunking cultural myths, uh, uneducating people, part of peace education? Again, that would depend on the particular peace educator as well. But uh, I, I would like to think it, it would it would also come up as well. So debunking myths and things like this. Uh, I think I'll, in order to answer that, I'll go back to your question about how do you provide this environment for the others to learn in the classroom. There's a, a great thing which I really love, and I, I borrow it from Noam Chomsky, who also borrows it from somebody else. Um, it doesn't matter so much what you cover in the class, it's what the, the students discover. So your role, or part of your role as a peace educator, and again, this, this, is, this has been critiqued as well, but this is how I see it, um, as a peace educator, you're there to both facilitate learning, but also to teach as well. And this is quite controversial because many peace educators lean a lot more over to facilitation of learning. What I mean by that is facilitating an environment for other people to learn. You ask questions. You set up um, activities where students engage together and things like this. That is, uh, for me, an essential part, a necessary part. Uh, but not a sufficient part as well. I actually think that peace education should involve teaching as well, where peace educators do come with a certain expertise as well. And to not offer students knowledge, like debunking the myths you know, of war and things like this, would be, some would call it, uh, exclusion or violence, because you're actually denying these students factual knowledge about things that are happening in the world. So I think there's a role for the peace educator to both facilitate learning, 
in getting others involved, facilitating environment, asking questions, active listening, but also teach as well and teach based on factual information. At the end of the day, we want our students to discover and make informed decisions. I actually think that, that you can persuade in some ways uh, learners. It has to be based on what the facts show, though, okay? Um, so I think a good way of doing that is both facilitation and teaching. Do, do you think maybe uh, a compromise is, is providing students with, with basic facts and asking them to draw conclusions? I mean, that certainly I would agree with you that a big part of the problem uh, is the lack of, of basic, relevant, important facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think I think what we need to do is be adaptable in the class and uh, prevent, uh, present information, uh, facilitate discussion. Um, it's also another important part to highlight about um, peace education as well is this mix between what you think and your feelings. So when you're asking questions, you would ask questions along the lines of, and what do you think about that? Touching on the cognitive side of things. And then you would also ask, um, and how do you feel about that? You know, so we don't we don't just look where another thing which I see wrong about traditional education is that we focus a lot on what people think, where if we just focus on what people think, we miss out on the development of the whole person. So we want to try and look at an education where we focus on the formation of the whole person, including what they think and how they feel and things like this. Um, so I thought that's another part of this education to highlight, that it, and it, which is different to traditional schooling and education, I would say. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, Phil Giddings, we have just a few minutes left. Uh, a young person who's listening to this program, perhaps in high school, and they have just heard about peace education and don't know enough about it, what should they do to find out if it's something they want to pursue in their life? Where should they look for a school? What should they read? Uh, what should they do to, to investigate whether it's a field they want to, to look into? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I can say as well, just from a personal perspective, that I'm having so many more people over the last few years actually deciding to look at peace studies as a career, which, which was something that I... I couldn't recall the people coming up to me, let's say, five years ago. So I just noticed just an, an empirical kind of observation of people just interested. What is this field? You know, and I was recently in the U.S. talking to you know, PhD and somebody who studied cancer for, for all their life and things like that. And he turned around to me and said, if I would have known about this peace studies field, I probably would have gone down a different field. Um, so that's just one observation. So in terms of what people can do to, to find out more information, um, our colleague and great friend, um, Tony Jenkins, they can go and check out the Global Campaign for Peace Education, look online. They can check out Peace Jobs by David Smith, who's been, been on the program. They can check out books as well. Um, peace Education by Ian Harris is a, is a one great example. Um, as I said, there's more than... Uh, 400 um, graduate level peace um, programs around the world um, which look at peace and conflict studies in, in the broadest sense. So, so there's, there's information out there. Um, I think the challenge is, is making it available to, to younger people in schools and I think the challenge is don't just keep it in the classroom and I can say this that I've looked at peace education in many different parts of the world and I think 
My critique is that it tends to just focus on the classroom. Um, so I would look for opportunities where you can actually take what you've learned in the classroom and then go on to do projects out of the classroom as well. I don't think there's as many of those prog- programs about as what there should be. Wonderful information, uh, including, I might suggest, for those doing counter-recruitment work, uh, people who want to change the world for the better, maybe look into peace studies rather than militarism. Uh, Another resource, of course, where Phil and I both work, uh, worldbeyondwar.org, as a website and as a source of books and links to information about peace studies and peace education. We've been speaking with Phil Giddings. Phil, thank you very, very much for everything you're doing and for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Pleasure. Thank you so much. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.